Turn again with me to Psalm 119. Verse 49. I'm going to read this one more time. And then we're actually going to go to the New Testament to see a a passage of Scripture that really sets up, I think, what we're going to talk about today. So Psalm 119, verse 49. The entire Psalm of Psalm 119 is talking about the importance of the Word of God. And so... As we preach, as I preach section by section by section through here, it's, it's really just different avenues of the way that the Word of God impacts our lives and the way that we should approach the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 49. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent, or your Bible might see the proud, utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the, in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Thank you, Max. Now turn over with me to 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We're talking today about affliction and how does the word of God minister to us when we're afflicted. 2 Corinthians is going to be a key text in stating the fact that the affliction is promised to us. And it's actually something that we can find hope in. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. And we're going to read through verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 3 verse 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, let's stop right there. What we have is we have suffering, and through our suffering we find comfort, and through our comfort we can comfort others that others may have hope. So, through suffering, we find comfort, which is a dichotomy. We don't normally think of, oh, yeah, I'm going to find a lot of comfort in my suffering. Through suffering, we find comfort. Through our comfort, we can comfort others. Through that comfort, they might find hope. And we'll see this as we go through this. Verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, Who raises the dead. There's the comfort that we can receive in affliction. In suffering. Verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope. That he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf. For the blessing granted us. Through the prayers of many. Now. In life, it's promised that we will share in the sufferings of Christ. Then if we're not sharing in the sufferings of Christ, then we're not in Christ. And that's where we find the hope and the comfort to our souls in, in suffering is that if we're experiencing the same sufferings Christ had experienced, we can find comfort in the gospel. And then that we might then comfort others in their suffering 
uh, sharing with them our comfort in the gospel, that they might be comforted in the gospel, and the gospel always brings hope. So there's this, this passage here that sets us up for, you will share in the sufferings of Christ. It is promised to you. So why is it, maybe the American way, that when suffering comes upon us, or affliction, and we'll talk about the different ways that that might come, but as it comes upon you, why do we so often want to put it off? If we find comfort when we have suffering. Normally we want to run to comfort. We want to run to things that feel good. As we talked about in first light there. Do do we we do the things we do because we feel the way we feel? Or do we feel the way we feel because of the the things that we do? But so often we want to run to the good feelings. And suffering is not necessarily a good feeling. So why do we run from that if the promise of scripture says that we will be comforted? Now let's go back to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 49. Now, any, anything in here that you see uh, word, we see promise, we see law, we see rules, we see law again there in verse 53. 54, we see statutes. 55, we see law. 56, we pre- see precepts. When you ever see that, whenever you see that word, that those words are talking about Scripture. God's word, the Bible to us. So let's understand that from the very beginning. 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Now, the first thing we have to understand is when you have difficult times and we go to the Lord asking for a word to speak to our hearts, to minister, to comfort our souls, what do we often want? We want a new word. God, give me something that you've never given anybody else because that's going to be you know, a new thing. And I'm going to have a great testimony. I'm going to be able to go to somebody and say, guess what? God told me something he's never told anybody else. We look for a new word. But look what the psalmist is saying. Remember your word, meaning your word from of old, meaning that there is nothing that is going to happen to you that God does not, has not, and will not, and does not already speak to through his word of truth. That is it in itself a great promise that we can know that you can go to the word no matter what the situation is. And there is something to, there is something here that will speak to that specific situation. It may be it may not be a thou shalt not or a thou shalt do, but there will be a principle there. And as we seek to honor the Lord and love him, we will be able to understand how he would desire for us to live. So first off, we must understand that when you're in affliction, when you're in suffering and we'll get into a little bit what that looks like. Where are you looking to God for a new word or are you looking to God realizing that he has already given you everything that we need for life and godliness? Remember your word to your servant. Often we think we don't like that word. We don't want to have to talk about anything about servitude. We're on our own. We're free in Christ. We can do whatever we want. No, we're slaves to righteousness. That's a, then another dichotomy to the world. How can, you, how can you find comfort? How can you find joy in serving Christ and being a servant to the king? Well, that's, where we, that's what we've been made for. That's where we find our greatest joy. And if you're, if you're trying to live outside of your servitude to Christ, you're going to find tremendous affliction. You're not going to understand why all these things are happening to you. But that's because you're living outside of what you've been made for, which is to live in Christ for Christ. In which you have made me hope. Let's go to Romans 15, 4. Romans 15, verse 4. 
I have to say that probably if the Lord allows me to still be here in 20 years, that I won't hear pages turning. I'll just hear the scratch of fingernails. You scroll through your iPads. So I'm grateful to hear the pages turning, that you have your Bible on your laps. Romans 15.4, I know it's dying. I'm holding against it for as long as I can. Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. For whatever was written in former days, the Word of Truth that we have here before you, the Bible, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. We have hope through the Word of Truth. We have hope through the Bible. You will only find hope in the word of truth and in the Bible if you are in the Bible. You can't just kind of get the feelings. You can't just kind of walk by it and get it through osmosis or something. You have to get it by reading it, by being in it. This verse, when you're in there, when you have hope, then you find the comfort. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Now let's... let's Let's first ask ourselves the question, is the comfort the hope or is the comfort the promise? 49 says, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort. Is the hope the comfort or is the promise the comfort? It's both. Because both of them are talking about the word. The word is the comfort. When you go as a parent to your, uh, I mean, when you go as a child to a parent and say, Dad, you remember you told me that on this day, such and such a time, we're going to go to wherever that parent promised that we would go. Does the child believe that the parent remembers? Yes, he probably does believe that the parent remembers. But he's, he's saying that for the comfort of his own soul. Just, oh yeah, if I tell daddy, I'll just kind of remind myself. Because God doesn't forget. You see that in verse 49. God, it says remember, but God doesn't forget. God has never forgotten anything. So we're not claiming God to ask him to do something he can't do. He always remembers. But we're doing it for the comfort of our soul. But what are we asking for the comfort of our soul? We're just asking that God would refresh us through his word. That we might be comforted. That your promise gives me life. Now, this word affliction in the Hebrew. When we normally think of affliction, we normally think of somebody coming at me and opposing me. Or when we think of suffering, we think of somebody coming to me and persecuting me for the cause of Christ. And that is an aspect of affliction and suffering. But that is not what this Hebrew word means. This Hebrew word is misery or depression. So there's two aspects of affliction that's going to come to your life. Either it's going to be me or an individual opposing you and causing you grief and affliction and suffering. Or maybe the, the world, the, the enemy of our souls is going to oppose us and bring us persecution or affliction or suffering that's one aspect but the second aspect is that which is what, that which is internal the misery and the depression that can happen within our own heart that nobody else sees and i think that's actually probably the aspect of affliction and suffering that most of us struggle with nobody else sees it you can walk into church have on your suit and your tie nobody else sees the affliction that you have the misery or the depression of your heart, the suffering of your soul that no one else understands. If I walked into church today and this coat was in tatters and I was bruised and bleeding and 
it was because somebody beat me literally as I was trying to get into this church, there would be some understanding of affliction and suffering and you could have compassion. But that isn't the case. You don't know the person sitting next to you. Oftentimes we don't even know the, the family member sitting next to us. What is going on inside, inside their heart? But the word of truth always can minister to a heart. The, the proverb says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. The Bible always has the fit word to minister to your soul. And the Bible is always a fit word to minister to someone else's soul. You may not understand how you're ministering to their soul. But that comfort, that promise, that life can always come to someone who is struggling in that misery or, dep- or depression. Martin Lloyd-Jones has written an entire book called Spiritual Depression. And it's not about spiritual depression. It's more about victorious Christian living. But he goes through uh, Psalm, the Psalms and, and all of the Bible, essentially showing that inside is where we oftentimes struggle. Inside uh, the, our hearts is where we oftentimes struggle with this depression, with this affliction of our souls. And the Word always has a ministering, a ministering time to it. Now, let's, let's look at this word life. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. We're going to go through four different scriptures, so stay with me here. Let's start in 1 Corinthians. 1 I think we oftentimes think of the Bible as some dusty tome with which we pull off the shelf, some ancient book that is no, more rele- that is no longer relevant for our time. Not the truth. By any means, it is life-giving. 1 Corinthians 4. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. How were you made alive in Christ? It wasn't by somebody living a good example. It wasn't by somebody you could look over here and see, oh, that's a, a person who seems to have a good moral life. That did not bring anybody to the gospel. The only way that you're brought through the gospel is brought to Christ is the gospel. And the gospel is good news. The gospel is the word of truth. The gospel is that which is, brings life. The Bible is that which brings life to the soul. Uh, Vody Bauckham, uh, some of you have probably heard of him. He's got a church in Houston. He has this great little clip on the internet called, You Cannot Live the Gospel. And I encourage you to go watch it. And what he's saying is, it is impossible to live the gospel... Because the gospel is good news. That would be as if I was saying, why don't you go look at the television tomorrow night and you're going to not hear anybody. You're going to go, go sit down tonight, turn on the television to hear the news, but no one's going to speak. You're just going to watch a whole bunch of people run around and you're going to figure out what the news is. No, we all say news is words that are spoken. I can't live news. I can make news through the way I live, but I can't live news. I can live in the light of the gospel, but I cannot live the gospel. I must speak the gospel. That's the only way anybody's going to be able to hear. 
And the gospel is good news. The gospel is the word of truth from scripture. That's why as we're studying the wordless book, that's why there's so there's such importance on knowing the Bible and being able to know where in the Bible the good news is so that you can speak it. Because you can say all that you want, but the only thing powerful enough to bring light to a dead heart is the gospel, is the word of truth. So if there is deadness in your soul, the only thing that can enliven that, that can quicken that, is the Bible, is the word of truth. And that has to be spoken. God spoke it to us, we can read it. Or if we want to minister the gospel to somebody else, we speak it to them. Now, that was our first verse. Let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews 4.12. Talking about the way this word is a promise, it gives us life. For the word of God, this is the Bible that you are holding in your hands, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It has the ability to cut away that which is old, to bring life. Third portion of Scripture, 1 Peter 1. Let's go to James, James 1, just the next book over, James 1. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Not only did he create us by speaking us into existence, as in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, but he also brings us to life in Christ through the word of truth, through the good news of the gospel. And the last portion of scripture is 1 Peter 1. Next book over, 1 Peter 1, 23. Starting in 22, having purified your souls by, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of God is always that which gives life. So if you want to encourage someone and bring life to their maybe to a downtrodden spirit, you can only do that through the word. Now, you may not be quoting exact portions of scripture, but as you are being able to bring, to minister the word to their soul, and it's always better to bring exact portions of scripture, but if you can bring the principles of God's word, if you can bring the truth of God's word to the light of a soul that is discouraged, you will always be able to encourage them. The word alone gives life. Now, let us... Let us move to a different section here. We have 51 where we have now the psalmist is beginning to give some some understanding of not only is the affliction internal misery and depression, but it's also coming from the external. The insolent utterly that would be the proud utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Now, I think it's always important 
because we're made for community and we're made for accountability in the body of Christ to be able to speak and identify the attacks that are coming against you so that you might be able to address them to others. If someone says, man, you know, how, how, is, how is Satan attacking you today? What's a poor strategist who does not understand where the attack is coming from? How are you going to ever be able to win the battle? Christ has won the war. But how are you going to ever be able to win the battle if you do not understand where the attack is coming from? You need to be able to identify where is the attack coming into my life? Where are the weak spots? Where are the strong spots? You've got to shore up both. Because we see in Scripture, even, the, even David, who, had a, who was a man of integrity, a man after God's own heart, fell in his, strong suit, in his strong suit, a man of integrity. He ended up killing another man. He ended up committing adultery with Bathsheba. Fell in a strong suit. So we've got we to gotta address both our, str- our strengths and our weaknesses. But you've got to understand, where are the attacks coming from? And then you can be able to identify to others how to help you, how to pray for you, how to encourage you in the word of truth. But I do not turn away from your law. Now this turning is not a, a physical, not just, not just we, we normally think of turn, well, you know, I'm driving down the road, I'm going to take a right turn. There's, an, a, there's a strong uh, moving away from the direction that you were going. That's the way we normally think of turn. But the biblical word is actually just a bend, a shift from the law. The word of truth is very clear. The Bible is very clear on how you are to live your life. And we cannot shift slightly away from it. We can shift side to side, but if we're trying to bring our own own worldview, our own evil, sinful line of thinking to make it feel better to us, to the word of truth, we're bending, we're shifting. And oftentimes when we're under attack, we're willing to shift or slide one way or the other to make it a little easier. It is hard to be put under a vice and pressed down on. And so we kind of squirm a little bit trying to get away from that pressure. We cannot burn, we cannot bend, we cannot turn from the word of truth. We must remain straight and firm and honest down the way. So you've got to ask yourself the question, is there any area of my life that I've been willing to bend outside of what God says is right and true? could be the slight bend. could be 99% I'm doing God's will. But this 1% I'm bringing in kind of a little bit of the, the things I would like to bring into this. Are we bending? Are we watering down? Are we moving away from God's truth in any way of our life when we're coming underneath this affliction? And guys, we are all underneath of affliction because this world is not our own. And they hate us. And they don't like us. And they want to take away anything that would be honoring and pleasing to God. They want to take away the Bible. They want to take away uh, the freedom of, uh, freedom of speech. They want to take away anything that would be in opposition to, script, that would be in opposition to evil. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. I do not bend away from it. But when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Now, we've got to go back to verse uh, to 49 and 50 because 52 reflects back on that. When I think of your rules. Now, we go back to 49. God never forgets. God never forgets, but we oftentimes do. When I think of your rules from old, I take comfort, O, o, I take comfort, o Lord. There again is the promise of Scripture that in God's Word we have comfort and we have hope. When I think of your rules. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to train yourself, like Mr. Welch talked about in First Light, to be continually renewing your mind in the Word of Truth. You've got to take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ. When you're under attack... Any stray thought is going to lead you into deeper misery, deeper depression, deeper thoughts of, oh, there's just no way. 
I can't hang on. I can't, I can't, I can't endure in this suffering. You've got to take every thought captive. You've got to be focusing. Now, I love this word here. Focusing on the rules from of old. We normally want to cast out all the rules. We don't want to abide under rules. We don't want to have any of these things that would be constraining us. And yet, what does the word say? The lines have fallen about me in goodly places. The boundaries of the gospel, the boundaries of the word of God are really nice and cozy. Is what essentially is saying. I like being within the confines of scripture. But our, our, the sinful nature of our heart, which, we, which we're, we've been saved by grace through faith, but we, we, we have a new heart, but we're fighting these old natures. As we're fighting these old natures, we're going to go outside of those bounds. We're going to do things that are outside of the rules of old, of the word of old, that we might somehow get, find something that nobody else has found that would give us this utopian fountain of spiritual youth as we oftentimes look for. Remember the days of old. I, I, I still remember, and I probably will always remember, when the Beals stood up in first light and they put all their stones of remembrance, if you remember that, on the board. They had taped them up there, all these things that they had in their house of the things that God had done, and they were able to look back on them. And what they're remembering is, the, as we talked about this last week, and come now found, the Ebenezer, they're remembering the stones of remembrance, what God has done in their life. And when you're under affliction, when you're under temptation, when you're under suffering, it is so much easier to go, I I can't, it's very hard to say, God, I can't see you in this. It's much easier to say, but I've seen you here. I've seen you doing this, 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 this. Therefore, this cannot be outside of what you will do as well. And you see that, that's what the, that's what the um, Israelites did. They crossed the Jordan. What they do? They set up a pillar. They, do, they would do this. They would set up this. They would do that. They would set up this. When God would do something amazing, God, they crossed the Red Sea. What did they do? They made a song out of it. They had things that would allow them to remember what God has done. My wife has a journal at home of just this year of the things that God has done for our family, the way he's answered prayer. And that's going to minister greatly to us for the coming years. When we're, when we're in the midst of suffering and affliction, do we look for God to do something new, which he will, or do we do look back and find encouragement in what he has done? He is always doing. He is always working out his plan, his will. And you can see that plan in his will as you look back at the rules of old, as the things of old that God has done, remembering the days of old. Let's go to 53. Hot indignation. Some Bibles, some, some translations here might say horror. H-O-R-R-O-R. Horror seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Now, Matthew Henry said, sin is horrible in the eyes of those who are sanctified. Do you find horror in sin? When you are confronted by sin, whether it's in the world or your own life or the person next to you, are you horrified by it? I heard a man on the radio the other day, a pastor who said, in America, we have lost the ability to blush at sin. We see it. It's Right in front of us. And we just think, well, that's just the way it is. We no longer see it as a sin against a holy God. And that literally horrifies us. Now, Paul, uh, the psalmist here says, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked. And you can get the impression that there is anger, that you are angry at these people. But I think the better thought is, you are horrified at the sin and you are horrified at the thought of what will happen to those people because of their sin. 
When we come face to face with sin in the world, whether it's the person in the checkout line in front of us, whether it's something that we hear somebody say, whether it's the sin of our own heart, whether it's the person next to us, are we horrified it, horrified at it to the extent that in love we share the word of truth? Are we horrified at it to the extent that we go to that person out of love and say, you're wrong. The word says you're wrong. And let me tell you what happens to those who do not repent and come to Christ. Eternal damnation. If you, if you could look over here and you saw this burning pit of lava and here's this blind man in snow going toward warmth and he's walking toward and you know he's going to dive into this burning pit of lava because all he feels is warmth and he can't see anything. What are you going to do? Stand there and go, hope it feels good. Enjoy the route you're going. No, we should be horrified at the flesh that will be charred in front of us and go to him and say, brother, I know this feels good over here, but let me tell you, this is bad. Your sin has caused you to eternal damnation, separation from God. Go stick your hand in a fire and for that half a second that you can keep it there. Feel the charred flesh and just know that that will never go away for eternity. How does that feel? Not so good. I'm horrified that you would be in that position. Let me share the word of truth with you. There is, there is so much conviction here that should come upon us. Do we share the gospel? Do we share the word of truth? Do we have a compassion for souls? When we're under affliction, when we're under suffering, when we're under pressure from the world to conform to their ways and not conform to the image of Christ... Do we find such encouragement in the word that not only are we encouraged, we're motivated to give them the word of truth. See, it's not just being encouraged by the word to get back to where we want to be, comfortable and happy. But as, first, as, as 2 Corinthians talked about, we, through our affliction, we find comfort and then we pass that on. We find that comfort to give others comfort that they might have hope. So it's not just we want to go to the word of truth to be comforted in our souls when we're under affliction, we've got to then see, oh, the horror of sin. And may I share that comfort with them that they might have comfort, that they might have hope through the gospel. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Does our horror drive us? Does our horror drive me? Does, does my horror, do we even have a horror anymore for sin in our own lives and those around us? Then, 54, and you can look through this. This is the seventh section. You can look at the previous six sections, and they always make this change right about here where this becomes a a prayer and a praise of exaltation to the Lord. This is what's happening, 54. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Now, this word statutes, this is the biblical word for a, somebody that has prescribed something. You can think of a medicine. Uh, if I was to go to Dr. Tankersley and ask him to prescribe me a medicine, he's going to write out a prescription that the pharmacist will then administer to me. So there's a prescribing here of something. The word of truth is always the best medicine for your soul. It is always that which is prescribed for that which you, whatever you need, whatever you f- need encouragement or hope in. The word of truth is always going to be the prescription that is best there. And the house of my sojourning. We must remember, this is one of the best ways to be able to handle affliction and suffering is we've got to remember, we're just sojourners through this world. This world is not our home. I'm bound for a better place. 
I'm just a passing through as the spiritual goes. My treasures are laid up somewhere behind, somewhere beyond the blue. Do we realize that we're sojourning? Because if we realize that we're sojourning, then we're going to realize that this land is not ours. Then we're going to realize, of course I'm going to come under suffering and affliction. They don't like me because I'm not at home. I'm in their home. And I'm trying to live in a way that is contrary to the way they want to live here. The way we wanted to live here, if not before the gospel came to our lives and made us alive. It's very easy to understand then. It's very easy to understand why there would be an attack on marriage. There'd be an attack on fatherhood. There'd be an attack on masculinity. There'd be an attack on femininity. Of course there's going to be. They don't like this. So then we can understand, well, this is just the way I can share in the sufferings of Christ. I can find comfort in knowing that I'm in Christ. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. You will sing about that which you love. If you love sports, you'll sing about it. I mean, you may not put it to actual tune, but you will be lauding it. You'll be talking a lot about it. We understand the expression of, man, that person's just singing a happy tune. He may not be actually singing. He may just be having a word of encouragement to everybody that's around him. We always sing about that which we love. We always talk. We always, we always find comfort in that, that which we love. So when you're under that attack, what do you find enjoyment in? What do you sing about? What do you run to? Do you run to entertainment? Do you run to sports? Do you run to friends? Do you run to books? That's why I think um, basic training and alert, eight, nine weeks, is one of the best things that you can do for a young man because it strips away everything that he runs to to find comfort for his soul when he's under affliction. And it forces him to the word of truth. Where do you go when you're in affliction? Where do you go when you don't feel encouraged? When you feel a wrestling and a Depression and a misery of soul. Where do you run to to find encouragement? Where do you run to to drown it out? What do you turn up louder so that you can't hear and force yourself to, to handle or to deal with that which is going on in your life? 55. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. Now, God is not going to be in your actions... Unless he's in your mind. God is not going to be in your actions unless he's in your mind. That's why you can't just live the Christian life and never be in the word. Because he's not, that, that's not going to saturate your mind. If, you're, if God is not in your mind, something else is going to be. And what comes out of our mind, or we can replace that word with heart, what comes out of our heart, what, what the issues of our heart is, that's what's going to flow out. That's what's going to spill out into others. So God has got to be on your mind. And the thing that is, that is most difficult when you're in affliction and suffering, in whatever capacity that is, is oftentimes the night. Nights are difficult when you're under affliction and suffering. Whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's mental, whatever it is, relational. When you're under affliction and suffering, for some reason, nights. That is Satan's battleground. And he loves the night. And he comes like a thief in the night to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will rob you of, your, of any thoughts of peace that you will have. Because you're laying there on your bed. And the day is over. And tomorrow is tomorrow. And your mind begins to just wonder. And Satan loves to flood it. So what you've got to do, as we talked about in First Light, is put something else there. If you take something out, 
You've got to put something better in. You've got to put the word of truth in. If God is not on our mind, He will not be in our actions. God will not be in our actions unless He's on our mind. Do we often think of the Lord? Do we often think of His word? Do we find comfort in it? Does it minister to our souls when no one else can see? When we're just laying on our bed all by ourselves, is that which is flowing through our mind? 56. Summation of this section. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Now, we know because we've studied through the Beatitudes that the blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted. And that word blessed is essentially meaning happiness. The greatest amount of happiness and joy that one could possibly have is essentially what this word blessing is meaning. So, let's put that in. This greatest amount of joy and happiness that, I could po- that has possibly been given to me has come because I have kept your precepts. And notice, here's the application. Here's the application in this whole section. Is this blessing is now. It does not say the blessing that will come will be following in your precepts. It says this blessing, meaning now, is here because I have walked in your way. Now, here is, I think, the application for us. There's two sides of it. One is, when you're under affliction, are you encouraged by the word? And if you're not... Repent and come back to the Word. But the other side of it is, we oftentimes look at people and we think, man, they look so good. They look like they've got it all together. They say the right things. They're, they look happy. And they may not be. They may be a miserable poor wretch within. We don't know. But when we see that, we oftentimes go, why am I not that way? Why don't I just have this joy of the Lord that exudes from me? Why is it not there? Ah, it probably is because we have wondered, we have bent from God's way. You know, there's this term thrown around when you talk about worldviews called postmodernism. Postmodernistic way of thinking. And essentially what that means is, truth is not relative, is not real, And it is not something that stays put. It can be bent and moved by the masses. If the masses say that this is bad, therefore it's bad. If the masses say this is truth, therefore it's truth. Is that true? No. In fact, one of my favorite verses of scripture, go to Matthew 22. One of the last verses in Matthew 22 essentially says where the carrion is, there the vultures will gather. Where there's there's a mass, you've got to be careful. Because where the masses are, oftentimes there's deadness. They're just chewing the fat. There's nothing there that is good for the soul. Now, is that always the case? No, it's not. But it's often the case, especially in our worldview today. When we look at others and see the blessing that we would desire, and may not, again, we, we have to be careful of this. We can't just look at others and, and think, well, they, they've got it all together. You've got to be real careful with that. But... If we desire, or if we hear about a, a calmness of soul that others are having in the midst of affliction and difficulty, we've got to allow that to be introspective and say, is there areas of my life that I have bent away from the gospel? I have bent away from the word of truth and I've not been able to experience the full, full joy and happiness that comes through walking in the word of truth. That's got, to bring, that's got to bring conviction to our souls. 
That's got to bring, we've got to allow, not just to look out, but to look in and say, is there an area of my life that's got to change because it's not honoring to Christ? It's, you will never be blessed dishonoring Christ. You will never feel peace and happiness in your soul dishonoring Christ. And when we think dishonoring Christ, we think, well, lying, cheating, stealing. Yes, there's all those things, but laziness does not honor the Lord. Mediocrity does not honor the Lord. Not giving Him all your love, soul, mind, and strength is not honoring to the Lord. Other areas that you've got to change and shift back so that you can be able to say, now, this blessing, right now, this blessing has fallen to me. And that blessing which is the word of promise, the word of comfort, the word of truth, the word of hope that is discussed in 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, and 55. That word is now fallen. I have now experienced this blessing because I've been able to follow in your ways. You will always find that comfort of your soul. You will always find peace in the midst of affliction. You always find peace in the midst of suffering when you are able to, to look in the word of truth and, be, and have an understanding that by your grace... And only by His grace have we been able to follow in His ways and what He has prescribed to us in His statutes, in His law, in His rule, in His word. We've got to be reminding ourselves of the gospel. That's what's going to encourage our soul. Is, oh God, if not for this glorious gospel, I am a sinner rotting in hell. But you have given me life through your word. And I can find comfort in that. I can find comfort in following your ways. So you will walk in affliction. If you are not now, you'll probably be tomorrow. And that's not something we look at and think, oh, bummer. You know, it's just going to happen to us. It is going to happen. That's where we find comfort. That's where we find encouragement in the Word. And knowing that we are walking in the footsteps of Christ. And the gospel has been given to us. And we can rejoice in the midst of that. Seeing the word, the promises of scripture, having those promises on the wall, having those promises that we can look into the word and say, I've seen God be faithful. He will continue to do so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we come and I would simply request, Lord, that if there is, if there is any reviving of a soul that is needed, that you would revive us again. Fill your heart, fill our hearts with your love that our souls may be rekindled from fire from that is above. May your word have ministered to our soul. I would pray, Lord, for each and every person here that this week as they would go forward, that they would find comfort in the word of truth. That if, if for those of us, Lord, that have, have slackened in spending time in your word, that we would come back to that life-giving, life-flowing word of truth and sit and eat and graze and be ministered to and find the, the bread of life and the water of life that is there within your word. I thank you, Lord, for your word that is powerful, that is sharp, that is always applicable to our hearts to encourage us, to motivate us, to challenge us, to bring us to repentance. And I pray, Lord, that your word might go forth in power this month, this week, this day amongst us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.